The revolution will not be televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. Hi, this is Rick Allen. And I'm Leilani Albano. On Digital Village, we're bringing you stories about the Internet and technology and how they're shaping culture, along with every other aspect of our lives. The digital revolution is indeed awe-inspiring, but can also be used for nefarious purposes. We're here to help prevent some of those abuses. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. So, on with the show. Hi, it's Rick. Digital Village hasn't done a news recap in a while, but with summer in our rear view, we thought it was time to bring you up to cyber speed on the last few months' happenings. Let's start with one of our favorite, Uber, and why it's so easy a target. The leading ride-sharing company confirmed that it was hacked last week by an 18-year-old who says he wanted to show the world not only that the company has weak security, but that Uber drivers should receive higher pay. Where have we heard that before? The hack follows July's massive leak, which revealed how top politicians secretly helped Uber and how far it went to avoid justice, including how a $90 million a year lobbying and public relations effort recruited friendly politicians to help in its campaign to disrupt Europe's taxi industry. The uh, Uber data breach is known as a social engineering hack. Social engineering is the single largest and most challenging problem in cybersecurity. It includes myriad attacks, phishing, impersonation, baiting, identity theft, etc. These kind of attacks have one common thread. They seek to trick targeted people into doing something by leveraging personal data about the target and their personal and professional networks. The weakest link in the security chain is not a process or a technology so much as it is users. On one hand, there is human error. A large number of security incidents are caused by human behavior, such as clicking on a phishing link. On the other hand, there is the role of social engineering in triggering this human error. No matter how good a company's defenses are, if they're relying on passwords to secure online accounts, it only takes one employee to share their login credentials for a breach to take place. Research shows that IT staff receive an average of 40 targeted so-called phishing attacks a year, and many organizations have yet to keep up. And then there's cloud hacking. The Orca Security Research Pod recently found that from January 1st to July 1st, 2022, that because of ever-expanding cloud surfaces and increasing multi-cloud complexity and a shortage of cybersecurity-skilled staff, threat actors now only need to find three connected and exploitable weaknesses in a cloud environment to get to a crown jewel asset, such as personally identifiable information or credentials that allow root access. And now, with so much of our info being stored in cloud computers, you can see how vulnerable we all are. But let's get back to computing as transportation and talk about Tesla and the latest lawsuit involving its advanced driver assistance systems. 
A lawsuit was filed Wednesday in the California Northern District Court alleging that Tesla's ADAS systems cause the vehicles to run red lights, miss turns, and veer into traffic, all the while costing Tesla owners thousands of dollars. Tesla vehicles come standard with an ADS known as autopilot. However, owners have been able to upgrade the system for versions with more features, for a cost, of course. Tesla also sells enhanced autopilot and the so-called full driving software, FSD, that is, continues to increase in price and is now around $15,000. There's a plaintiff in the lawsuit, and he said he paid $5,000 for his 2018 Tesla Model X to get enhanced autopilot. The complaint alleges that Tesla and its CEO, Elon Musk, have been deceitfully advertising its ADAS tech as either fully functioning or close to being solved since 2016, despite knowing full well that the capabilities of autopilot and FSD don't live up to the hype. Quote, although these promises have proven false time and time again, Tesla and Musk have continued making them to generate media attention to deceive consumers into believing it has unrivaled cutting-edge technology and to establish itself as a leading player in the fast-growing electric vehicle market, reads the lawsuit. California's Department of Motor Vehicles also accused Tesla in July of falsely advertising its autopilot and FSD system. Last month, the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration asked the EV maker for more information about its cabin camera as part of an ongoing probe into 830,000 Teslas that include autopilot. NHTSA is investigating 16 crashes in which Tesla owners were potentially engaging the ADAS and then crashed into stationary emergency vehicles. At the end of August, the Tesla Model 3 owner filed a lawsuit against the automaker alleging that a defect in autopilot caused unintended braking. And a court in Palm Beach County, Florida, recently set a February date for a jury to hear testimony on who was in fault in the 2019 crash involving autopilot that killed a father of three. Tesla, which has disbanded its press office, could not be reached for comment. That's a whole other story about Tesla disbanding its PR office, but that's for another time and another interview. But there's more about Elon and how his company is being run. A U.S. district court has ordered that Tesla must tell employees about a lawsuit alleging the automaker violated state and federal law by requiring workers to sign separation agreements. The lawsuit, filed by two employees laid off in June from Tesla's Gigafactory 2 in Sparks, Nevada, and another from Tesla's Palo Alto store, claims that the company violated Section 1400 of the California Labor Code, as well as the Federal Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act by laying off workers without 60 days of advance notice. In addition, attorneys asked the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Texas to prevent the automaker from asking laid-off workers to sign releases in exchange for just one week of severance instead of the eight provided under the law. (sighs) So let's move on to the great crypto decline. 
A court in South Korea issued an arrest warrant for Du Quan, the founder of the Terraform Labs cryptocurrency ecosystem, whose implosion earlier this year sparked a global crypto rout. Terra's unraveling triggered investigations in South Korea and the U.S., as well as renewed regulatory scrutiny of, ironically named, Stablecoin, a digital token that is pegged to an asset like the dollar. Stablecoins are a popular vehicle for investors seeking to park cash away from more volatile coins as they make it easier to move funds onto crypto exchanges. To add to the drama, South Korean prosecutors said Kwan is obviously on the run and has yet to be found. This in the midst of the most recent cryptocurrency market crash. It coincides with a global economic slowdown triggered by inflation, rising interest rates, the lingering COVID-19 pandemic, supply chain chaos, and, of course, the war in Ukraine. But what, you may ask, about the great Crypto.com fortune favors the brave slogan? In June, cryptocurrency exchange Crypto.com announced it was laying off around 260 employees or 5% of its workforce due to the widespread downturn in the crypto market. But layoffs did not end there. Sources say the company has quietly let go of hundreds more employees since the initial layoffs. These new layoffs have not been publicized, and it's difficult to estimate their exact number. Crypto.com has been trying to limit knowledge of the extent of these departures, even within the company, with CEO Chris Marzelic refusing to answer a question about the total figure in a recent employee-only town hall meeting. This leads me to think that Crypto.com, one of the most visible players in the crypto market, with its own named stadium, formerly LA's Staples Center, might be under greater financial stress than publicly known. Quote, we were assured the layoffs would impact 5%, 260 employees only, one source with close knowledge of the situation said. People in the company recently noticed many employees disappearing from our internal schedule meetings, unquote. Due to the lack of internal transparency, one can only estimate the extent of this layoff round. We increased our staff by 50% since 2021, and almost all of them were hired to fuel growth. Now it seems these additional 1,300 staff members are viewed as costs to be reduced in order to save the business, the source continued. Uh, Marzellic's response meant nobody was happy. Another source, an anonymous employee at the company, said, After we lost so many teammates, we needed support and strong leaders. I wanted someone to tell me it would be okay, and I was doing a good job. But instead, it felt like I got told to shut up and get back to work. It felt insulting, unquote. So, how about President Biden, and what is he doing about crypto? Well, it looks like he's not going to help the currency when it comes to Bitcoin mining. As the U.S. became the biggest hub for Bitcoin mining, crypto mines have revived ailing fossil fuel plants and driven up electricity bills. 
Because of concerns such as these, the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, OSTP, published a report on the industry's impact on energy and climate change. The analysis estimates that the crypto industry operations in the U.S. pump out about as much greenhouse gas pollution annually as all the diesel fuel used on the nation's railroads, 25 to 50 million metric tons of carbon dioxide per year. Costa Samaras, Principal Assistant Director for Energy and Chief Advisor for Energy Policy at OSTP, had this to say. In the report, we say that depending on the energy intensity of the technology used and the carbon intensity of the grid, crypto asset mining could hinder broader efforts to achieve net zero emission. So I want to be clear that technology matters, the type of electricity matters, and there are ways to drive innovation to get to net zero that enables us to meet our climate goals. He added, there's no outlined timetable, but we are in a climate crisis, and the administration has been very clear that bold climate action is needed, and bold action is what we're taking. We think that there's a large opportunity for innovation and best practices to explore common sense ways to reduce the environmental impacts of crypto assets. Uh, We're waiting to hear from the Biden White House regarding this challenge. But maybe the government should be able to do something about this story. Border officials can copy information from travelers' phones without a warrant. Yes, U.S. Custom and Border Protection leaders have admitted to lawmakers in a briefing that its officials are adding information to a database from as many as 10,000 travelers' phone, tablet, or computers every year. Further, 2,700 CBP officers can access the database without a warrant and without having to record the purpose of their search. These details were revealed in a letter Senator Ron Wyden wrote to CBP Commissioner Chris Mangus. The lawmaker also said that CBP keeps any information it takes from people's devices for up to 15 years. In the letter, Wyden urged the commissioner to update CBP's practices so that device searches at borders are focused on suspected criminals and security threats instead of allowing, quote, indiscriminate rifling through Americans' private records without suspicion of a crime, unquote. Wyden said CBP takes sensitive information from people's devices, including text messages, call logs, contact lists, and even photos and other private information in some cases. While law enforcement agencies are typically required to secure a warrant if they want to access the contents of a phone or any other electronic device, border authorities are exempted from having to do the same. Wyden also pointed out that travelers searched at airports, seaports, and border crossings aren't informed of their rights before their devices are searched. And if they refuse to unlock their electronics, authorities could confiscate and keep them for five days. CBP Director of Office of Field Operations Aaron Moker said that the agency only copies people's data when absolutely necessary. But Boker didn't deny that the agency's officers can access the database. 
He even said that the number was bigger than what CBP officials told Wyden. 5% of CBP's 60,000 personnel have access to the database. A couple years ago, the senator also called for an investigation into the CBP's use of commercially available location data to track people's phones without a warrant. A CBP had admitted back then that it spent $500,000 to access a commercial database containing, quote, location data mined from applications on millions of Americans' mobile phones, unquote. Let me see our papers. Okay, that's enough of the scary stuff. Let's wrap up this post-summer news get-together with a couple of puff pieces. Hey, Apple has a Will Smith problem. Will Smith is a star of Emancipation, a film set during the Civil War era that Apple envisioned as a surefire Oscar contender when it wrapped filming earlier this year. But that was before Will leapt onto the stage at the Academy Awards in March and slapped comedian Chris Rock. Now, Apple finds itself left with a $120 million unreleased award-style movie featuring a star no longer welcome at the biggest award show of them all. And a big question, can the film, even if it succeeds artistically, overcome the baggage that now accompanies Mr. Smith? According to three people involved with the film who spoke anonymously, there have been discussions inside Apple to release Emancipation by the end of the year, which would make it eligible for words consideration. Variety reported in May, however, that the film's release would probably be pushed into 2023. When asked how and when it planned to release Emancipation, Apple declined to comment on that or anything else about the film. Okay, here's something really up-to-date for you. Just last Sunday, Tom Brady chucked another Microsoft Surface tablet. Tom Brady wasn't practicing his touchdown spike when he whipped a Microsoft Surface tablet into the ground during the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game against the Saints on Sunday night. The quarterback was visibly frustrated. Following an incomplete pass, he tossed his helmet onto the field and stormed back to the sidelines where he grabbed the Microsoft Surface tablet and slammed it. Microsoft Surface chief Panos Penier responded to the incident on his Instagrams this time around saying, rest assured the surface should be just fine. Uh, we're not so sure, Panos. The last tablet we saw Brady throw was destroyed, and we didn't get to see how this one fared after his most recent temper tantrum. The service tablet has become a punching bag for players and coaches alike since they were first introduced to the NFL in 2014. Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers was one of the first ones to get caught on camera tossing the tablet. And even Patriots coach Bill Belichick smashed it on the sidelines, albeit for reasons other than gameplay. He just can't stand using tablets. NFL's website says Microsoft designed the Surface tablets specifically for football games, ensuring they can, quote, stand up to the occasional drop, unquote. Uh, maybe Microsoft should make sure they withstand a throw from a quarterback's very strong arm. Okay, this is Rick Allen with Digital Village's post-summer news wrap-up. Stay tuned next time for our 
as usual, insightful and entertaining interview. That's it for this episode of Digital Village. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org and digitalvillage.org. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen. I'm Leilani Albano. And we'll see see you online. online.